Welcome to Songs and Stories, a behind-the-scenes look at independent music. This time out featuring a visit with our returning champion, Gerv Morlix, his fourth visit here to the Songs and Stories podcast to talk about his latest, his 10th release, Impossible Blue, and a look at the state of the independent music industry. Here we go. Alrighty. Well, hey there. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. I'm Michael Gaither, and this is the Songs and Stories podcast, episode number 186. And as I joked around there in the intro, a returning champion, there's a few artists that we've had on here many times because I always like talking to people and seeing what they're up to, what their newest releases are. And Gerf Morlix is such a stellar interview and such an icon of independent music. I like to have him on whenever he's out here on the West Coast with a new record. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. First, uh, the usual quick update on me. Me and my band, my new best friends, have been really busy, and we've got a pretty good summer lined up. Um, If you're in the Santa Cruz, Gilroy, Monterey, Bay Area, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up in July. We're going to do Still Bonnet Brewing on Friday, July 5th, and we're actually going to be there every first Friday throughout the fall, so July, August, September, October. Set your calendars accordingly. And then that's going to be, I think, trio or combo foursome mode. And then the next weekend, we're going to be over in Morgan Hill, over the Little Hill, if you're looking at me pointing to my right. Uh, The Kelly Brewing Company, a new brewery in Morgan Hill, California, a full band show, all five of us out on the back patio playing at four o'clock at Kelly Brewing Company in Morgan Hill, California. I'll be back at the Capitola Wine Bar on Friday, July 26th with Greg Avalar, my bass player. And if you're a K-Pig listener, I'm going to be, I pop in there a lot doing my fill-in DJ thing, but I'm going to be there definitely on, let's see, Wednesday, July 3rd at 8 o'clock. I'm going to be covering Neighborhood Night that night. I'll have Glenn McPherson on as a special guest, playing live in the sty and playing a bunch of other music as well. I'll also be at K-Pig on July 17th. That's also a Wednesday, also covering Neighborhood Night. And I'm not sure who I'm going to have on there yet, but I'll probably be on K-Pig quite a bit, these little dates seem to drop in. So lots of fun stuff for me and the band. We're also working on a new recording. We're going to do an EP. We've got the rhythm tracks done a couple of weeks ago. We're going back. Let's see. I'm looking at my calendar this Friday to lay down some guitars and vocals and lead guitar and no really release date for that, but new songs and lots of fun. So that's coming up. So if you Watch michaelgaither.com. Keep an eye on the mailing list, the website, or come see us and ask us about it. You'll be hearing about that very soon, probably on every subsequent episode of this podcast for a while. And it's always fun recording new songs and getting them out there and seeing what y'all think of them. Well, talking about Gurf Morlix, Gurf's been on here many times. Well, this is his fourth visit. He was on way back in 2014. On Songs and Stories 135, then I did a co-interview with him and songwriter Blackie Farrell in Songs and Stories 147. He was out here a couple of years ago for a new record, uh, The Soul and the Heel, so that was in, that was episode number 169. Those are all linked on the blog here in this podcast on my website, michaelgaither.com, for this episode 186. And Gurf's got a really cool background. He's been a, a big-time Austin producer, really working with some great independent artists for many, many years. He produced 
I think, five records for Slade, Slade Cleves. He worked with Robert Earl Keane quite a bit. He's produced Mary Gaucher and a host of others that I'll list in the notes for this episode. But he started doing his own independent... You know, he's been a songwriter his entire life, but he started doing his own releases under his own name several years ago. And his latest is his 10th independent release called Impossible Blue. And as most of the records he's doing now, what he does is he has a cabin up in Canada. So he goes up there in the summertime for a while and does a lot of things, including just writing, solitude and writing, which I found actually works really well, too. So he writes up in Canada in his cabin during the summertime, kind of cultivates the songs throughout the year, and every couple of years in his home studio, he puts together a new record. This one is him playing almost everything, and as usual, he brings in Rick Richards on drums. Um, He has a woman named Jamie Harris doing harmonies, and Red Young playing Hammond B3 on a track or two, and the rest is all girf, guitar, bass, vocals written by Gurf and sung by Gurf, and it's really always a fun, distinct sound with some really cool songs. This particular interview was really fun because Gurf was out here doing a couple of shows, and he stayed at a mutual friend's house, Ron Sandage. Hi, Ron, if you're listening, and I was trying to find a time Gurf and I could meet, and Ron emailed me and said, well, why don't you come over for brunch on Friday? So I went over to our friend Ron's house and Gurf and Ron and I had a really nice brunch, kind of just shot the breeze for about an hour. And then I turned the recorder on and said, what were we talking about? What was that cool thing you just mentioned that I can repeat? And that's what we did. So we kind of recapped our breakfast conversation along with a a lot of fun tangents and talked about this record, the making of it, and just kind of how things have changed. I think on this record, he's not even using a radio person. He's just contacting the people that have played him in the past. I mean, we're in a state now where... You know, people don't buy as many records as they used to, and things like Spotify and and and, and Pandora, I almost said parody, Pandora are sort of like where people go to find music, and I'm a little guilty of that too, but I try to support independent artists and buy music, as I hope you do. If you're listening to this, you should definitely buy Impossible Blue, the new release from Gurf Marlix. So we talked about that, and he played a song from this record called Turpentine, which has a really interesting kind of backstory, and he'll talk about that. So with all that in mind, let's hear a track off of Impossible Blue. Let's hear My Heart Keeps Pounding, which was kind of inspired by the heart attack that he survived a few years ago, and we're really glad he did. So here's Gurf Morlix with um, the CD version of My Heart Keeps Pounding, and then we'll talk to him around my friend Ron's kitchen table, different kitchen table for a change, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Here's Gurf.
the batteries didn't just die 10 minutes ago and we'll do this over again so not good to see you too i'm happy to be here yeah so we had um a nice brunch thank you ron sandage yeah. you're very welcome <laughs> and um we got the politics out of the way so we'll leave that off the podcast um but good to see you again yeah. i hear you had a, a nice sold out show at michael's on the main in socal last night it was really nice good yeah. good yeah k-pig plays you a lot k-pig radio and yeah Whenever I'm on, I'm like, here's a girth song. He's going to be in town next month. You yeah. can go see him Michael's one day. People are lucky to have K-Pig. Yeah, well, I'm very lucky. And um, and they hired me. Go figure. I know. That's <laughs> great. Congratulations. <laughs> Low talent pull. Yeah. And um, tonight you'll be at a great house concert in Peoria. You've been to the barn before yeah, a long yeah. time ago. It's been a few years. Yeah. I, I like that place a lot. That is the absolute best place to play or yeah. see a show. It's so cool. be fun. And um, so the new record, uh, Impossible Blue. Yeah. First thing I want to ask you about is, is the, the cover, because you seem to take a lot of care in your album covers. It's really important, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up buying albums. You know, I was 12 years old and I started buying mm -hmm. albums, probably. And uh, and sometimes I would buy albums just based on the cover art. Me too. And uh, and I always, you know, as a, as a record producer, I look at as an album as a piece of art, as a whole entity. Uh, the cover being an integral part of that and the title being an integral part. Mm -hmm. And I think that the 
artwork has to match the tone of the album in some way, uh, has to be reflective of the tone. And so I put a lot of thought into my album covers and I always have, and some were rushed and I regret that mm-hmm. they could have been better, but, but I, I'm not going to let that happen again. <laughs> I've learned there are no deadlines. Yeah. Well, a couple of albums back, you had the, that great piece of wood that have face in it. I don't know if I'll ever top that cover. That was cool. Eating yeah. at me was the name of the album. <clears throat> and that, uh, it was a log that I had split to burn in the, in the wood stove and, mm-hmm. And it was all eaten away on the inside by ants <laughs> in a chambered and in a re- really remarkable looking photo. Uh, that's that. Uh, that's hard to top. That's a pretty good picture. And we talked, well, I mean, before I go farther to this, rec- the latest record is called Impossible Blue. Yeah. And what is Impossible Blue? Well, on the cover, it's a, it's a close-up of a picture of a pile of blue pigment that was recently discovered. And it is impossibly blue. It's it's the most blue piece of pigment you could ever find, and um, it's worth googling. There's a there's it's a new pigment, the first blue pigment they've discovered in two hundred years. And uh, Thomas Jefferson was president last time a blue pigment was discovered. That's pretty mm-hmm. remarkable. And I just saw it online, and I saw this photograph of this impossibly blue looking powder sort of and uh, and it has a name it's the name of this pigment is yinmen and it's capital y-i-n capital m-n and i assume that's a chemical compound mm-hmm. um, but it's impossibly blue and uh, i was just struck by the photo of it and then there's there's a song on here that's a called Backbeat of the Dispossessed. I and love it's, that It's title about too. a friend of mine who was mm. a drummer who I was in a band in junior high school with and off and on over the over our lifetimes we played a lot together and mm-hmm. lived together sometimes here and there. And, and, uh, and then he, at one point, decided to check out voluntarily. Mm. And it's always really sad when someone does that. At first I get sad, then I get angry. Mm-hmm. And but he had a 16-year-old son, mm-hmm. and I was just trying to figure out how how he could have felt that bad to 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 think that was a, an answer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't see him for periods of time, for years sometimes. But I always knew I'd see him again. And right. then suddenly I wasn't gonna. And I was thinking about how how sad can a person get? How deep is that blue? How, you know, how deep is that chasm of, of, of when there's no, helplessness? When there's no way out or, yeah. or they can't see and, a way or out. The only it. way out is to, is to yeah. do yourself in. That I just don't, I'll never understand that. Yeah. Uh, but I was trying to put myself in the place of, of him. How, how could he feel that bad? And then I linked that with the, with the picture of the blue pigment and, and, the, blue. and the term impossible blue. And it just all sort of fell into place. Yeah, wow. Yeah. We've only experienced that with a couple of people. One person that was close to us, and you, you just kind of shake your head and go, why? Yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're not right. Yeah. They need help. Yeah. And, and, and they don't get it sometimes. And it's, it's very sad. Yeah. Let's go from that to like a completely different <laughs> spectrum. 
Um, the the opening track, Turpentine. Yeah. Which is a love song with a really interesting title. Well, sort, kind of a love sort song. of a love song. It's it's, a, it's, it's sort a, of a bluesy little thing, and uh, you know the, the title is Turpentine, and I seem to be the only person on the face of the earth who was unaware of the fact that turpentine comes from pine trees. Mm. You knew that, of course. Yes. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Except me. Little factoid, one of the few. Yeah, actually, I, was, I got retained. Yeah. Somehow I didn't learn that one. And I just, you know, I've been around turpentine all my life, cleaning mm-hmm. paintbrushes, whatever, and just assumed it was some sort of chemical yeah. compound. But it's natural uh, and comes from pine trees. These certain pine trees, turpentine pines, I guess. And, uh, and then I found out that they grow only in certain areas around the world. And one of being on the border between Georgia and Florida. And they, apparently they scrape the bark off the pine trees and the tree exudes a sap to try to heal the wound. And somehow they collect that sap and process it. Um, now that part I didn't know. Yeah. Somehow they, I assume it's kind of like making maple syrup. Okay. This is probably the same sort of thing. And they process it somehow and, and they make turpentine out of it. And, and I like maple syrup and I just... Had some a little while ago. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Ron. Yeah, breakfast Great was breakfast. good. Um, and I like I like maple syrup, and I like pine. I like the smell of pine trees. I like pine trees. Um, but if you've they ever go from that to turpentine, yeah, if you've ever smelled turpentine or worse yet tasted it, you would not put it on Ron's French toast. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's almost like the turpentine sap is like a protective thing that it exudes if it's injured or something yeah i think that's I think yeah. that's the deal and I, I don't know i've seen maple syrup mm-hmm. maple tree sap yeah but i'm not sure why it comes out but it, maybe it's just i mean they pound nails into those trees it's a response to the wound i suppose right, right. interesting we'll hear that song in a little bit um so for those who didn't hear the last couple of interviews with you was this mostly done up in the cabin these songs yeah, I write most of my songs there. I have yeah. this little cabin in Canada. It's nice, nice to be able to do that. I've done that. Yeah. There's a place I go to in Idaho once in a while. And to get away from everything yeah. and just sit and have some time to hopefully come up with something is nice. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, a good I, luxury. I go up there every summer for three months, pretty much. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I usually come out with six or eight or more songs mm-hmm. every summer. And so I don't have any kind of problems writing songs my, yeah. my problems are figuring out which ones are any good <laughs> um, but usually by the time it's when it's when it's time for me to make a new record usually i've got somewhere between 20 and 30 songs to choose from right so, which is a good problem to have right right if i can figure out which ones work yeah it's a nice luxury yeah um, one of the songs on here it made me think of like this bottom uh, bottom of the musquash river my first thought was Sandy Gray and Breakfast in Hell off the Slate yeah. Queens record, which you produced, I believe. I produced that record. It was a long time ago, and uh, and Slade came by my cabin in Canada one time. He mm-hmm. was traveling through, and I said, come hang for a few days, and he did. And I took him in my boat up to this river called the Musquash River and showed him this site, these rapids, where there was a, uh, a logging operation you know, 120, 130 years ago, whenever it was, it was there for a long time uh, until they logged every pine tree out of the area and then they just Moved up and on. left, yeah. left a mess. Um, but I, there was a log jam there and it was a Sunday morning and and I, and I the 
the uh, log boss told told the crew. He said, "We got to break this jam, or it's breakfast in hell." And mm-hmm. So I told Slade this story, and and when we got back to the cabin. He he said, "I'm going to write a Canadian folk song." <laughs> and my first thought was, "Why didn't I think of that?" <laughs> um, I'm the one that goes to the Musquash River every year, yeah. and. Uh, uh, and he holed up in the in the bedroom there, and he would just come out and say, "Give me some names of some places around here." And <laughs> so I'd feed him some names. He'd go back in, and after a, a day or two, he came out with this song, and it was so good. It's called uh, "Breakfast in Hell." And uh, and then I thought, well, I can't write a folk song about the Musquash River now. And, <laughs> but that, that was that was like maybe ten years ago yeah. or something. I think the statute of limitations is up on the on the Musquash folk song. Right, so, right. so I wrote my own, and it's not about the log jam. Mm-hmm. It is, there is a drowning, but mm-hmm. it's it's my own take on it. It's called the bottom of the Musquash River. Yeah. That that song "Breakfast in Hell" was when I was still going to the Strawberry Music Festival, and that thing broke, and that was one of our camp staples. Yeah, you well, know. it's a great song. It I, is. I, it is. I still get goosebumps when I hear that song because yeah. I. I caused that to happen. Mm-hmm. And you did. You were the catalyst. And it's, and it's a it's a really great song. More than the catalyst, but you kind of like, look, Slate, here's a river. Yeah. <laughs> Write a song. Yeah. And you here's a pen. Much, here's some paper. Much, here's a room. Yeah. <laughs> you borrow a guitar, kind of, kind yeah. of tune your strings yeah. for you. You pretty <laughs> much enabled the whole thing. I didn't know the background of that song. That's, that's yeah. good to know. Yep. Um, I was going to ask you. Um, so you, you produced several of Slate record at least a couple right you produced, produced five i think yeah pretty sure broke down was kind of in the middle of that somewhere broke down was the second one i did yeah yeah there was there was a bunch of them for a while and that's kind of when he really kind of broke through at least yeah that was, that was his breakout record yeah yeah and you, you've worked with robert o'keen and Ray oh, and produced lots and lots of people yeah. over a long time yeah i like it i can always kind of tell the girth there's a signature on a lot of people's records that sounds like girth Good. Yeah, Mercy Now. Uh, yeah, Mary Gaucher. I I produced uh, a few records, two or three records for mm-hmm. her. She's really good. Been really lucky to uh, have some of the best songwriters in the world. I think. Yeah. Get a hold of me you. and say, "Hey, come on, let's yeah. let's make a record." And you're not producing other people as much anymore. But who are you working with these days? Well, I I'm still I'm going to do another record for Grant Peoples coming good. up in the fall. I like Grant. You he's, he's kind of hooked me up with him. Yeah, he's really good. Mm-hmm. A, a unique songwriter who uh, bloomed late. He he uh, contacted me one time and said, how do you get those great sounds on your record? How do you get those great drum sounds? And I said, well, first of all, you hire Rick Richards. Mm-hmm. And, and then you come to my studio. And, and then he sent me some songs. And they were okay, but they weren't quite great. But I encouraged him. I said, mm-hmm. you know, write some more and send me some more. And then oh, good. finally he sent one. And I went, now that one, you're on the track here. Uh, what song was that? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I can't think of the title, though. Hmm. Uh, I didn't produce it. It was it was a song that he had already written. I think he had a version of it okay already. Um, but I said, write some more like that. And then mm-hmm. he started sending me songs. And I said, now you're now you're getting there. Now, now we can start thinking about making a record once you nice. get like 10 or 12 this good. Mm-hmm. And he did. He, he became a really good writer. Yeah, I love his attitude. He's sort of, what does he call himself? He calls himself a left neck. Yeah. He lives in... Uh, Panhandle of Florida, mm-hmm. and he is a left neck. Yeah, and he's fearless, and and he's uh, he he makes art. I yeah, just, I, I I just love what he does. Yeah, how many records have you done with him? 
Oh, three or four more or something couple, like yeah. that. More than two, I know. Yeah. I think you got hold of me when you when you played for us at a house concert. He wanted to come out here and play, and yeah. and we weren't really doing much. But I said, if, but if you get out here, I'd love to interview you. And yeah. we can keep in touch. It'll happen eventually. He's really good, positive person. Yeah, and, and he. He's, political he's and edgy, political but also and edgy, but really but smart. He's smart, and he's always looking for a way to help. Yeah. He walks into a room and looks around and goes, what can I do here to make this better? You know, yeah. that, that makes guys like me look bad, you know, but, <laughs> but I love him for it. You know? He had that one tune, High Fructose Corn Syrup, that I wanted to start playing. It's just catchy as hell. I was covering that song for yeah. a while. That's a very cool song. He's a good writer. Yeah. Yeah. Unique. Yeah, yeah. So, back on the record. So, we were talking, I think, during during brunch. Thanks, Ron, for brunch. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we tend not to make as many records anymore. I mean, you, CDs. CDs. You, you mean produ- how many we how many, manufacture? Um, yes. Yeah. Physical CDs. Yep. Um, they yeah, still the sound great. <laughs> sales of CDs are dwindling. Yeah. And it's, downloads are slowly taking over, and uh, I'm hanging on as hard as I can because I like to hold something in my hands, and I know you do too. Mm-hmm. I like to read the information on the on the album cover. Uh, you know, I grew up buying LPs, yeah, yeah, and and I loved holding those big things, and and I would just study them. And and now it's shrunk down. It's uh, the the artwork has to be different now. It has to it has to work on a little tiny. It has to work on a little four and a half square thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to, it's it's changed. Artwork used to be wide open. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think the art has to be great. So yeah, um, it's a challenge. It has to be legible. Big font. You know, if you're in a record store and you're looking at a rack of CDs, you have to be able to read the title and the and the artist's name yeah, and from, from 10 feet away. And, right. and I, I walk into Waterloo Records in Austin and I look at the CD rack and I go, wow. Oh, there's 150 CDs and and four of them have good album covers. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's and if I see one more album cover with somebody standing pensively with their guitar, <laughs> what was your friend's Facebook comment? Oh, I I have a friend who uh, will not accept any uh, Facebook friend requests from anyone that has a guitar in their <laughs> picture. <laughs> I love that, and I don't ever want to see anybody. On an album cover, walking down a railroad track, shot from behind, holding a guitar case. Like, <laughs> That's been done once or twice, yeah. or a bazillion times. A time times. or two. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice when the, when the cover is evocative of the title, and it fits the body of work. Yeah, I it's, think a, you and it's, I an, still, it's an entity. Yeah, I know, there's a, a, there's a culture now where it's like, here's the singles, here's the downloads, but still, if you're making a record, whether, yeah. you, whether it's on a CD or an LP record... It's called you know, an album it's for a, a body, reason. It's, it's a, a, body it's a of collection work. of songs that fit together as yeah. as as a whole and the artwork should be part of that and the title should be part of that um it's just always been really important to me it's that's mm-hmm. never going to change yeah yeah well I, i'm glad you keep coming out with these every couple of years you always look yeah forward to i don't have trouble writing songs and yeah. uh, i usually have a bunch and and uh my like i said my problem is trying to figure out which ones are any good <laughs> It's a very, very good problem to have. And yeah. So on this run, you've done, you did SoCal last night. You're doing um, Gilroy tonight. Where else yeah. are you going on this run to, Cali- uh, to California? A couple of Los Angeles area shows. Okay. Um, playing a festival in 
South Pasadena, and I'm playing McCabe's in L.A. Oh, good. Anything up north? Santa Monica. And then I'm flying to Portland. Oh, good. And starting up in the northwest and playing Portland and Washington State and Victoria, British Columbia. And then I come back down to the Bay Area for a show at the Hot Monk Tavern in Nevada. Uh, oh, nice. In Novato. So no, Nevada, Sonoma. Yeah, good. Yeah. Anything around Sacramento at all? Roseville? Uh, no, this that's, okay. that's the only Bay Area show. Okay. Is the Hot Monk in Novato. I'll pass the word to my Portland friends. Yeah. Nice. White Eagle Saloon. Very cool. Been doing that every year and it's working well. So. Good deal. So maybe like in a year or two we'll get another one of these from you? Two years probably. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. I've already started it. Have <laughs> you really? Yeah. So I how long does it, because you're doing most of this, you're producing it and engineering it yourself, you bring it yeah. in for the guitar, for the for the drums. Um, how long does a Gerf Morlick's record for you typically take, the production of it? Well, you know, I, I make them in little spurts here and there when mm-hmm. I have free time, um, but I was off all of December, or most of December, and... This, with this record coming out, it came out beginning of February, so January was just, I was slamming, trying to, you know, get all the ducks in a row for, mm-hmm. for the release, but December, I wasn't doing much of anything, the gigs had stopped, and I had new songs, I probably yeah. have 10 already, Wow! Know, and in another year, I'll have 20, <laughs> and uh, and I'll record those, but I, I went into the studio in December, and I said, well, I'll start. Nice. Uh, I had one song that I knew was probably going to make the record, so right. I, I cut that. And but I won't. I probably won't get back in the studio for close to another year, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's good to be busy. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't complain about it. Cool. Why don't we hear something off the new record? Okay. Uh, well, let me play you Turpentine. I'd love to hear Turpentine. Yeah. Turpentine 
you're talking, you're talking, talking all the time. You're talking, you're talking, you're talking, talking all the time. But what I'm hearing, I gotta say, unsettles my mind. You're looking, looking so fine. And your lips got that blood red shine. Your breath smell like expensive wine. But your kisses taste a little like turpentine. Don't you know, surely you know, you're driving me insane. Is that blood or ice water coursing through your veins? You're looking, looking so fine. And your lips got that blood red shine. Your breath smelled like expensive wine. But your kisses taste a little. Your kisses taste a little like turpentine. Turpentine, the opening track off Impossible Loop. And now we all know how turpentine is made. Well, I always learn something. <laughs> now that we've added me. <laughs> um, well, good luck with the new record. Looking forward to seeing you tonight. And nice catching up as always. Thanks, Michael. Good talking to you, Gert. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure and always an inspiration catching up with one of the great Texas songwriters and producers, Gurf Morlix. His latest record is called Impossible Blue. You can find that online at the usual places. You can also go directly to gurfmorlix.com, G-U-R-F-M-O-R-L-I-X. 
Blues.com and find out uh, how to get a copy of Impossible Blues, see where he might be playing soon near you, and how to order his previous releases. Like I said, he's had, he's done 10 independent releases um, in addition to producing people like Slake Leaves and Mary Gaucher and Robert Earl Keane. Well, that's it for this episode of Songs of Stories. As always, thanks for taking the time to listen and download and stream however you found this, whether it was on Stitcher or or uh, iTunes or my site, michaelgather.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com, or you're catching us live recorded on KC Cafe Radio on the weekends. Thanks for listening, and please do support these artists. Coming up next month, we'll be talking to an artist who's bouncing a time between Santa Cruz and Nashville. Mira Goto is a uh, great singer-songwriter who's won lots of contests. And besides just being a talent and a great writer and a great singer, she's really got a nice strategic idea about marketing her music. She's got people behind her, but because she's so good and so wise. And that's pretty cool stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about marketing in that one, but you also hear Mira play and kind of talk about some of her inspirations and influences. That's going to be really fun in the next episode of Songs and Stories. Uh, as always, I'm Michael Gaither. Thanks for listening. I'll see you maybe at a show in the Santa Cruz area this next month, or maybe you'll hear me on K-Pig Radio. Thanks for taking the time to listen. As always, talk to you next time. Take care. <laughs>